my God. Sounds like a good day. Good day? Did you have a good day? Oh, yeah. The sun came up finally in Northwest. Well, that's good. Welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. My name is Ben. We're here to talk about shooting on deck tonight. We have Mr. Kim. Hello. And Mr. Frank Rizzi, our man in Area 7. How you doing? Well, our favorite our favorite uh, match director type. Um, I have some fun stuff to talk about, uh, but before we get into that, this is the first time we've recorded since kind of bombshell news happened. Hopkins had to drop out of the presidential race, which is very sad, very disappointing, honestly. Um, now, he was running to make a point, and realistically, like he's not going to be able to change policy without a new board. That's kind of the way it's looking to everybody. But it had been awesome to see him win. And the, I think the truth is, if he was able to run, he would have won. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that's pretty obvious at this point. But his personal life's a shit show, and he's got to deal with it. Uh, he's got some very nasty people fucking with him. So he's going to – he's taking care of it, I think. And uh, as hugely disappointed as I am that he can't run, like I care way more about him than I do about USPSA. <laughs> it's like and him getting his shit straight – um, you know, he, he, he changed jobs. He moved across the country. He's got a lot of stuff going on and a, you know, a nasty situation with a lady. So, uh, you guys know how that goes. Well, maybe, well, you don't Kim, that's actually good for you, but you don't know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, disappointing, but, uh, life goes on in the meantime. Um, well, there's some new, there's some new things to talk about with the board, I think. Um, I don't know uh, how much attention have you guys paid to any of the recent uh, financial stuff. Uh, I've paid a little bit of attention to it. What what are your what's your kind of thoughts like the the general will look at that. So my my general thoughts would be um, I can't see any reason why the organization should be losing any kind of money. You know well, that, that yeah. You know, it looked I mean, to me like when the organization was growing, they were making a lot of money pretty easily. Right. So they hired a bunch of their buddies. And now that the organization's growth has stalled out, now that that economic model is not working anymore. Correct. And that, that should have been forecasted in advance. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> no yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, don't have, I don't have the inside information on, on what's going on in there, and, but I've, I've seen some of the numbers and, you know, it doesn't uh, it didn't look good to me. Well, I don't expect you to react to this, Frank. Frank. And for the record, for the uh, the BOC guys listening, I did not tell you what I was going to say, Frank. But it's coming out of my mouth um, because you're going to be on the board working with these guys. But I think we have learned a lot the last few months about kind of some of these people's behaviors. Um, some of these guys, you can kind of see through them right away. Like uh, Layton, if you're if you're sensitive to like dark triad personalities. Um, which most people wouldn't be, but if you're, I'm kind of hypersensitive to that, sensitive to that stuff for a few reasons. But um, just that dude's demeanor makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, because you can tell like the demeanor is fake, so he's not showing you his real intentions or real personality, and that just sets you on edge. So like that dude's easy to see through, but other guys you can't as easily. Like I wasn't really sure about Ted a year ago. But watching this recent financial debacle, like he's come all the way mask off by getting into it with one of the members who's just a nice guy, an accountant who is, 
he went to the the uh, the board meeting, the uh, the in person one at Nationals, and as an accountant, told them he thought there was some financial problems, and they blew him off like dickheads, and everybody watched. <laughs> and now everything like the the financial guy working at the organization resigns, and like three weeks later, they're talking about raising member dues. I mean. So this guy's like, hey, I told you all this stuff, gets into it with Ted Murphy on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And it's like, <laughs> it's obvious what's going on there. But see, that's that stuff's amusing to me because that's a situation the board creates for itself. They have a member do the right thing. Like, I go to the meeting you tell me to go to. I have knowledge, obviously, you guys don't have because of my background. Let me help you. They shit on him. And now they've kind of made an enemy. And that, I mean, and to watch them try to like obfuscate and bullshit around that's really funny because if you if you're paying attention it's obvious what's going on there so whew, we're in yeah, for I, a, you're gonna have fun on the board frank i'll tell you that yeah i mean look i don't i don't i don't pretend to be an expert on every subject you know i'm not an accountant you know i mean i, I could read a, a financial report i could read the numbers but when i need accounting advice i go to a professional when i have a professional accountant coming to me and say hey listen there might be a problem here i'm going to take a serious look at that and not blow him off well, you know, you know what? Oddly, I don't know better than him. One board member did take that guy seriously, Hopkins. And that's why Hopkins had, as you probably heard if you listened to a recent podcast, he had a pretty good handle on what was going on financially. Whereas, you know, Bruce Six, uh, for example, said, I don't know, just a few months ago, he thought everything was kosher financially. Essentially, that's what he said. And he was clueless. Yeah, well, apparently that's not the case. <laughs> no, yeah, apparently not. Right. Anyway, yeah, the communication uh, to me is very selective, and for me personally, what I'm interested when I'm looking at like the uh, organization side of USPSA is if if the board member or as an organization is it inclusive? Because one thing, a lot of the board members, not only board members, range officers or any staff, uh, we are all members. Yeah. And a lot of people actually say uh, at that position, if even if you're a member at a board member or people actually say, hey, I'm, I'm a member of USPSA also. And not being inclusive to members when somebody's in that uh, authority, so to say, like a board member or something, and saying I'm a member and not being inclusive is clear hypocrisy. <laughs> the, the hypocrisy is what's really starting to uh, rub people the wrong way. And that's not how get the members involved in, so to say, improving the organization or solving issues together. Uh, hypocrisy is not the right way to make the you know members help uh, revive the organization or improve the organization in all that manner. Right. The, the members make an organization, honestly. I mean, in, in my in my club, I mean, we have 13 members of the board. You know, if we have an issue, you know, we some, you know, there are times where we put it out to the members like, hey, this is what we got going on. You know, we need some help here. You know, what do you guys think? We want to hear your input. You know, we may have an accountant or a lawyer or an architect or somebody will step up and say, hey, listen, guys, I think, you know, you guys should be doing this. And they'll come up with an idea that we didn't think about. Yeah. You know, you got 13 people in a room. We're not professionals at everything. You know, yeah. so that there are times where, you know, hey, you know what? We need to listen to our members. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Speaking of listening to your members and trying to be a functional organization, I had a little bit of a different experience for me. Uh, I went to uh, like a, a conference, I guess you'd call it, for the Texas Tactical Police Officers Association. 
since it's a functional organization that you know is run for the benefit of its members, what they do is uh, they they like attracted me to the event, got me to the event without even paying me. They're like, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Like it's an information sharing thing, kind of like training group summit on steroids, mm-hmm. like that. A huge. Imagine like, I mean, there was. I mean, Matt Pranka got me to go there. I mean, he talked me into going there. Mike Pannone was there instructing. Uh, all, like, I mean, 30, 40 guys, just as instructors. I mean, it was a huge, it was a huge deal. There's there's tons of stuff there. And just by making it say, hey, we want to just, like, bring you in, learn from each other, like, a network. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to, like, come down there. They just, you know, bought my plane ticket and stuff. And I'll go down there and present material for a few days and help out any way I can. Um, because when you have that kind of a culture created where you make it, you know, like something you want to do, like not about the money, you can get, you can get people to volunteer their time. So I thought that was very interesting. And, uh, I'm sure I'll put some uh, material on training group uh, related to this, but all I did was just show kind of show competitive shooting training to law enforcement firearms trainer guys, and they could decide what they wanted to do with that information or not. But, uh, it was, it was a good a good experience with a very functional organization. And and they even sent out a survey and some of the guys organizing it, like they took stuff seriously. So for example, there's one thing I thought was a miss at the event, but I thought the event was great, but it was one thing I didn't like, which is they had a big banquet dinner, but no tables. So you could walk around and grab food, but there was no place to sit and eat it. And I was like, there was no tables. And they'd intentionally done that to try to mix people up anymore. more. And they could see like, yeah, that didn't work. And I thought the attitude was like, yeah, we won't do that again next year. There wasn't any like, well, you should volunteer type of shit. It was just like, yeah, that that element didn't work. And yeah, we won't do that again. It was like, OK, cool. So there's no reason to get pissed off or like anything. It was just a well-run event by guys who are you know in it for the right reasons. So anyway, that's my rant. Mr. Mr. Frank, you got a, an event to talk about. And then Kim has some productive shooting shit to talk about, I think. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so this past weekend, uh, I had a local club match. Um, I was uh, expecting a huge turnout. Uh, we had uh, almost 100 people sign up for uh, this is a, now a local match, uh, a five-stage match. And I think a total of about 95 people signed up for the match. So I had a whole bunch of people on the waiting list. And as we got closer to the match, um, people started dropping out due to the uh, weather forecast. So there was a uh, 100% chance of rain this past Saturday for our match. <laughs> yeah, 100% chance of uh, wind, rain, and the temperature was about roughly 50. I think it was about a high of 50. Oh, so, God. you know, at our club, we have, we kind of have a culture of we shoot no matter what. Unless there's lightning out there, we're out there shooting. So I've shot in literally in blizzards, torrential downpours. It doesn't matter the conditions, we shoot. So I said, all right, so now do I hold this match? Do I not hold this match? <clears throat> I was like, well, I had at the end of the day, I had probably about 30 something people ended up showing up. I said, if people want to shoot the match, I'm going to run the match. They want to come out and shoot it. God bless them. I'll be there with them. So, you know, there's a fine line between dedication and totally nuts. And I think we might have crossed that line this weekend. Yeah, when it's so cold, the pasters don't work anymore. It's like that yeah. that that was a problem. So, you know, uh, I don't even think waterproof targets would have helped. I mean, we didn't have waterproof targets. You know, if it, to figure for a local match, kind of expensive to be using those targets. 
I can I had my first experience. They, there's so they've been reformulated the double alpha brand, I think. Okay. Of those targets. And we were using them. Uh, I think similar conditions actually, because this was what what date was this match? Saturday. No, this was uh, this well, this was a week prior, but it was similar conditions. It was 45 okay. degrees and raining, mm-hmm. like hard yep. rain, and using waterproof targets with like unbagged with uh, the correct pasters. Uh, we shot. I'd shot a class. I think five hours of rain like that, and the, the targets were totally usable. I mean, the guys got still got drenched, but it actually really? worked really well. Yeah, I was I was actually impressed. And as that's you know, impressive. it takes a shitload to impress me. Yeah, that's impressive. Yes. So, um, so yeah, so we didn't have the waterproof targets or the waterproof pasters. Uh, what I did have um, that I actually uh, got the idea from uh, working nationals last year. Um, the bags that they use were a heavier uh, bag, not like those dry cleaner bags, those real thin plastic. This was like a three mil uh, bag, and I was able to order them from Uline. So Uline sells bags any size you want, clear bag, black bag, any color bag you want, which I didn't even realize it, but uh, I happened to find the exact size bag that fit over the target. So there's no excess. They were, for the most part, the right length. You know, as long as you put the, uh, you know, if you're using USPSA targets, put the head lower than the top of the stick, the bag will sit on top of the sticks. And so they're real easy to just grab the top of the bag, pull it up, throw a paster on and slip it right back down. So that actually helped a bunch. But by the end of the match, when you have steady rain coming down, there's nothing you could do. No. There's not, not much you could do. I mean, so it, it was most of the people finished, which I was quite surprised. You know, it was only a couple of people said, you know, we had enough and left early. So, but yeah, by the end of the match, we had to replace targets because stickers, you know, our pasters weren't sticking. You know, we had some tuxedos where basically the middle was getting blown out and there was nothing left of the targets. They were disintegrating. So, but, you know, everyone, you know, I really, I, I, I thank everyone for coming. I commend everyone for coming out there in those kind of conditions. Those are the really hardcore shooters, let me tell you. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, I was freezing for two days, <laughs> even a hot shower. Living in Pacific Northwest, that shooting in the rain is basically unavoidable. Mm-hmm. So, now, nowadays, like all the club in my region has a waterproof target. And definitely the taping wise, when you paste it, you have to use your nail, like scratch it on it so it doesn't fall off. So the pasting wise, you ha- unless you have to do it, like, unless you do that, the paste will fall off. So you have to kind of use a nail when you paste it, nail it, like scratch it a little bit like a lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. And then if you use the bag, you have to cut the armpit side. So you don't have to unbag it and then paste it and then rebag it because that's taking forever. So if right. you just make a hole on the armpit side, you can put your hand into the side of the target. So A zone's closer, kind of like that. Ah, uh, that's a great idea. And then for for my local match, it's uh, uh, n- there's no uh, vacation. So we have to shoot in December, January, all together. But we always do like February or March, all steel target, like a poppers and stuff. So we know that February, March, it's always raining. So if, if we know 100%, then we just usually do like a full steel. Excellent idea. Yeah. See how, like, look at that. Kim knows a thing or two about shooting in the rain, let me tell you. Yeah, so, but, uh, I mean, that that's one of the things that, that um, I learned, you know, going around to different matches, traveling around, you know, going to shoot nationals, you get different ideas on how to do things, and you bring them back to your club. Yeah, whereas, you know, like, so- uh, 
there's some parts of the country where you can leave targets up. I mean, a lot of parts of the country you can leave targets up overnight and they don't get moist just because of the humidity. So humidity, right. Yeah. So it changes the way they deal with stuff, too. Yeah, I learned that the hard way the first year we started doing this. We left the targets out overnight. It's like, ah, there's no threat of rain, 0% chance of rain. Yeah. We come in the next day and everything is curled over. <laughs> yep. Like, oh, can't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, well, that's a, that was actually a productive discussion. <laughs> Jesus, what are we doing here? All right, Kim, now you have productive yeah. shooting information. Yes. So I have two new drills. Uh, one of them is already posted on PSTG, and the other one is com- uh, po- being posted coming week. Uh, these two drills are actually first uh, made a debut in at the summit. So I got a lot of feedback, which was all good. I really liked it. Uh, so these two drills, one of them is called DMZ drill, and the other one is paint the steel drill. Uh, very interesting in terms of round counts. DMZ drill, no round counts, zero rounds fired and paint the steel is only three rounds but these two are definitely uh, one of the most important sector of our sport where you have to be able to do these two properly Uh, even if you're at the top you can definitely push yourself so dmz drill uh, i'm not going to go into too much detail but basically what it is i mean dmz stands for demilitarized zone (laughs) that was on purpose actually so there's no gun allowed you don't need a gun you don't need a belt all you need is a timer so you can do this at a gym or at the range or in your living room, whatever. Uh, basically, what you do is there's certain shapes that you have to move. The first one, let's say M shape, you there's a couple cones set up, uh, and then you go in an M shape with a, run like a sprinter. No concept of 180. You gotta run like a sprinter. So you run as fast as possible in that M shape, and as you pass the final finish cone. You have to tap your timer and then it'll recognize as a time. So once you find out, let's say five second run with all you got as a regular runner, and then now you're going to add 180 concept. You can decide which direction is 180. And then now you use an air gun to keep that 180 line safety angle with the air gun. So you can have your index finger straight out to represent where the muzzles pointed. So now you set the part timer and then do the same thing but you have to match the time without breaking 180, of course. And then one of the recommendation in the drill is to, if you have a training partner, make them watch if you're breaking 180 or like pushing 175, so to say. And if you don't have a partner, you can set up uh, in line with that 180 angle with a camera and then make sure as you're cutting the corners, retrieving, so to say, or turning uh, during that time, you don't want to break 180. So this is a good way to, first of all, you can do a couple runs of setting the part time. So like no 180, run like a sprinter three times. And then every single time you want to push that part time as much as possible every single time. And then simply with the air gun, you want to match it. Because a lot of the times when there's cutting corners and if you're rotating towards the 180, a lot of people kind of people slow down to make sure the 180 is clear rather than just keep that wrist rotating around during uh during that rotation of the turn so to say so it's a good way to make sure you're safe and then make sure your actual run with the gun is just like a sprinter you're trying to match the potential of sprinting without gun concept and then the tra- uh, the paint the steel is very very important because this is 
so so used so much where in especially USPSA, how many times we go to a shooting position and then the target is behind the wall. And once you get to that spot, the target comes behind the wall, right? That's most of the position entry. We use walls and we use things like that. So when you enter, a lot of the times people may bring the gun up late and then end up presenting and then shoot rather than painting the steel or I, I say tracking the steel with the gun. Uh, sometimes it could be people say, hey, gun up, gun up when you enter position. People may actually have a gun up, but on the wrong spot. So the red dot may be on the berm, not on the target during the entry. So in one of the focus in the drill is actually painting the steel with the red dot or the fiber optic, actually painting it. But in order to have that, one thing critical that a lot of people also don't do is actually bringing, especially red dot shooters. Red dot shooters don't bring the gun high up on your eye line. It's actually a lot of the times lower than your eye line. So people may see the window somewhat on the target, but not a physical red dot visible. So about a full step before when the target exposes behind the wall, you have to start painting it with the physical red dot visible through your eye line. So that is just three rounds. Very simple, but you're definitely uh, challenging the kind of forward entry, side to side entry as well, just using three shots and then ma making that tracking, uh, compart tracking component right. So all you need to do is just pull the trigger at the target exposure rather than target exposes and then you try to get that alignment again or dot replace on that dot because your dot was somewhere else or simply lower than your eye line, uh, you're losing a lot of time. So the concept is to teach you how to shoot at the exposure of the target rather than target comes out, you stabilize, now you try to fish the dot again onto the target. That's a lot of time loss. I can easily say a lot of people use uh, lose 0 0.3, 0 0.4 seconds just on the first target on the entry. Yes. Yes. Very important. Um, well, that's actually big. I think that concept's been really, uh, it's, it's kind of been really highlighted by how the stages have gotten kind of smaller in terms of the amount of movement. And then uh, closer range targets, higher round count, and the more carry optics focus. That style of shooting, keeping the gun mounted and walking yeah. in on targets is really critical. It's yes. become a big focus in training in the last couple of years for me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, guys, it's a real banger of a show. I don't think we need to take any questions. Uh, I don't think I actually, I don't think I have any relevant questions actually. But any listeners, if you do have a question, go to bensticker.com. Send me a question. We would love to hear from you. And guys, thank you for coming on. Thank of you. course. Yeah. Okay.